This is Easy Chair number 416, August the 5th, 1998. This evening in the Easy Chair, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdoony, and I will discuss uh, books. Now, the question is from Ron Cassell in Bassett, Virginia. Discuss the history or 10 most significant books ever written concerning Christianity. That is, books every Christian should read. Please do not let your modesty stop you from including those books of yours that should be on that list. Well, I am going to choose a little different topic. Not the 10 most important books, but 10 books that have been uh, influential, that are good reading. Some may be great, some not so great, but they had an impact. And that can vary from person to person. I'm going to start with a rather obvious choice of a book that is a famous one, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It was written in prison where Bunyan was an inmate for, I believe, 13 years for unauthorized preaching. Now, we must remember that very few people in those days survived that long in prison. Bunyan survived because his jailer was sympathetic and he would uh, release Bunyan and say, uh, you can take off, go to London or wherever you want to, don't call attention to yourself, but be sure you're back here in two days or by the end of the week. So Bunyan was able to go here and there, borrow books, and live out of prison a fairly normal life a good deal of the time. Pilgrim's Progress is his best-known work. I read it several times before I got into the university and read it once at that time. It's a very simple book. When you read it, you don't fully appreciate its greatness. But what it does is to bring into perspective the fact that our life here is a religious and moral matter, that we are not to see it on any other terms. I was interested when I was a graduate student in talking with one brilliant graduate student who later went on to hold high places uh, in various groups. And he, for the first time, because it was a great book and he was told it was important or had read that it was, he read it. And he said at first it seemed like a rather old, simplistic, uh, moral allegory. But he said, the more I read it, the more I was deeply impressed by it, because what it drives home is what we tend to forget, namely that life is a religious and moral issue. Well, it was interesting that this man was anything but an Orthodox Christian. He was a very earnest and sincere person. He tried all his life in his own way to do good, but this is the impact that Pilgrim's progress had on him. I don't know how widely Pilgrim's progress is read now outside of Christian schools, Christian circles. But the importance of uh, Pilgrim's progress is precisely what he saw. It confronts you with the fact that life is essentially a pilgrimage from this world to either heaven or hell, that 
the basic decisions of life that you confront and the basic battles are moral and religious. And you must begin very, very early to recognize that fact or you are in trouble. So I strongly recommend to anyone Pilgrim's Progress to be read carefully. It may seem like one is reading a children's book, but uh, it has over the generations commanded adult readers like Theodore Roosevelt and others who found it profoundly instructive in the fact that the moral and religious issues of life are always there and they are inescapable. We may blind ourselves to them, but we pay the consequences. It's interesting. Uh, somebody gave me an old book just because they, they knew I liked old books. Um, that it had Pilgrim's Progress in it, but until I saw that old edition, I didn't realize that he wrote a sequel to Pilgrim's Progress, which, which is not as well known. I don't recall offhand yes, whether he right. called it Book Two or it was Part Two. Has or, a somewhat different title. Or this whole separate title, but it was uh, the sequel to Pilgrim's Progress. People who are, are somewhat familiar with the book realize that very early he had to leave. It. He left his family on this this pilgrimage, which represents his life. His his family was left behind because they they ridiculed him, and so he went through this life as a as a new Christian, um, without his family, and representing a man who was converted but whose family wasn't converted. Well, in this sequel, it tells about the separate journey of his of his wife, and I <coughs> I think maybe his children, I'm not sure though, and in her conversion. But uh, I, I read uh, Pilgrim's Progress when I was in sixth grade, and uh, it had quite an influence on me. It's a very remarkable book. It's a hard book not to be influenced by and to, and to see yourself in. It's a masterpiece of simple writing. He knew the Bible from cover to cover and have absorbed its simplicity of language. Now, it is interesting that the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress have been credited with uh, having a profound influence in literature, especially in this country. We have uh, in the early 20th century in particular, developed a style of writing in fiction and elsewhere which is simple, not complicated, highfalutin, scholarly, as so much of the writing of the world is. And you can trace the influence of uh, Bunyan and the King James Version in men as little Christian as Hemingway. A simplicity that uh, became important in this country in particular because the Bible for generations played so important a part in everyday life and in the schools. Something that's always <clears throat> interested me is the many of the books that you read as a child, and you uh, you remember them and uh, you have a perception about them from uh, whenever you read them in sixth grade or seventh grade, and then later you read them in later years and you see them in a whole different light. For instance, a political satire of uh, like Gulliver's Travels and mm -hmm. the, the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. And they're timeless because uh, you can take a look around today and you see all these characters yes. uh, out there in society. And uh, books like Charles Dickens that we read as children and then later realized that uh, he was predicting the, the downfall of the British Empire into the depths of socialism, which they eventually uh, fell into. So they, they, it's sort of like a time machine, many of these yes. books. 
Does anyone want to offer another book? Well, another book that was often, it was one of the most commonly available books I, I remember reading, along with uh, Pilgrim's Progress in Colonial America, the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, and Fox's Book of Martyr, which I read, I think, a few years after I read Pilgrim's Progress. I think I was in high school, probably about a senior, when I read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I didn't, it, it's basically uh, an account of believers over the centuries from early church, from the early church to, uh, I'm not sure when it ended, when it concluded. The 16th century. Um, who had given their lives for the faith. And I, don't, I didn't have a particularly good grasp on, on history. And I, I could probably get a lot more out of it and understand a little bit more of the issues today. But what's, what struck me is how many people over the, the centuries had, um, had taken their faith so seriously that they willingly uh, suffered for it, even to the point of death. Well, yeah, the adverse of that, uh, the, uh, the scientists who were willing to suffer the, the wrath of the church for uh, going against the church's teachings on science at the time. Fox's Book of Martyrs is still in print. We have to realize that the version we nowadays read is a condensation of a multi-volume original. I just read that a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, it created uh, martyrs because people read what simple people had done in other eras, stood up and died for their faith, and they therefore were impelled also to live without compromise. It has had a powerful impact. Any other books you'd like to suggest? Well, let me throw out another. It's a book I first read when I was a, an upper division university student. Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Now, it's not the easiest reading because Dostoevsky is a Russian, and just learning the names of the uh, characters takes a bit of an effort for some people. But it's a very important book. It's a theologically governed book. It doesn't represent uh, our Western Christian point of view, but uh, a variation of Eastern Orthodox or specifically Russian Orthodox thinking. What Dostoevsky does in that book is to pose a commonplace problem, one often discussed and debated by students in his era, not only in Russia, but throughout Europe. It was in part uh, created by, oh, a dissent and a disagreement with Christianity a doubt of God, a doubt in the truth of the Bible. And the basic question was this. Are we so brainwashed by religion that we no longer think rationally? If we did not have the brainwashing of the Christian faith, would we be troubled in conscience at all if we killed somebody? Or is our conscience a product of generations of religious training? Well, in Crime and Punishment, the uh, hero, if you can call him that, the student Raskolnikov, is concerned with that question. He is convinced that conscience is a product of religion that what one has to do is to demonstrate the truth of his belief by killing somebody. Killing somebody who should not be living. 
someone who's socially useless, no reason why they should be alive, they contribute nothing to society, and putting them to death should be seen as a socially useful task. So, this young student kills this elderly woman who deals with uh, old used things, who has no real social function. He cannot find one redeeming feature in her life, so he kills her. But then to his dismay, he finds that his conscience is troubled. Why? He rounds a corner and sees a police officer and he ducks. Why is he ducking? Why is he afraid of the police? Why does he have a troubled conscience? That's a myth. He goes over and over again the fact that uh, I did no harm. If there be no God, the, this person's life or death has no meaning. It might even be considered a good act, getting rid of someone who is really worthless. So he debates this matter. In the process, he comes across a young woman, a prostitute, a rather weak person. She is a prostitute because she has a degenerate father married to a rather weak but thoroughly good woman. He deliberately prostitutes his daughter to have the money to go on living, drinking and doing whatever carousing he does. So the girl is unwillingly a prostitute only because if she doesn't do it, her mother and others in the family will pay the price. Well, her faith comes to her rescue in this situation. And the faith that she has helps her out because it enables her to face up to a very simple and obvious fact. I am a sinner. I cannot excuse myself. I am doing that which is wrong. And all that can save me is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Grace I do not deserve. And that's her faith. So when she meets Raskolnikov, they get into a discussion. And what she does is to witness to him, which annoys him no end. He's an intellectual. He's thoroughly philosophically well-grounded. He sees the basic issue, but she keeps coming back to what she believes is the basic issue. We are sinners. We are accountable to the Lord. We are saved only by grace not by our thinking. And that's her witness to Raskolnikov over and over and over again. And it's powerful because she is obviously very weak, but what she does is to cling to that very simple truth. Well, as it ends up, Raskolnikov becomes the target of suspicion he confesses. He is sentenced to prison in Siberia. And before she, he leaves on the train, this girl prostitute comes to the train to give him a present, a copy of the Russian New Testament. Because there is his hope. There he will find the true answer. It's a powerful book. And uh, 
really a great work, one of the great novels of the Western world. What, uh, what do you think of, uh, of Shakespeare? Shakespeare is an interesting person. I do believe, first of all, that he was Shakespeare, not somebody else, using a pseudonym. Second, there's a great deal in Shakespeare that we have forgotten or pay no attention to. His father was a fairly prominent pilgrim, I mean Puritan of the day, and important in his community. So that uh, the idea that Shakespeare was an ignorant man, how could an ignorant man produce those remarkable plays, does not hold water. He was well-educated, and uh, scholars have been able to find a remarkable uh, number of uh, citations from the Book of Common Prayer and from the King James Bible in his writings. He knew his faith. That alone was a remarkable education. Well, the plays he wrote were written for the London theater primarily, and they were written around themes that the court and the crown would approve of. And so you have uh, a series of historical plays which exalted the monarchy, in particular the dynasty begun with Henry the Seventh. Now, these were propaganda. They were necessary in part for survival. Henry the Eighth had taken over the crown from uh, Richard the Third, who was vilified as well as killed and presented by Shakespeare as a crippled hunchback. He was a very superior monarch, and uh, he is suspected to this day of having murdered the two young princes who were the legitimate heir to the throne. He was next in line as a brother to the king. But uh, Henry VII was not that close to the uh, succession. Well, these historical plays were very good ones, not necessarily historical at all times, as with Richard III, who was deliberately vilified, so that to this day very few people appreciate all that he did. Now. We have to realize, therefore, that we don't really get Shakespeare's perspective all the time. He's writing plays that the court is fully aware of, that either meet with court approval or there is trouble. So he chose themes, a lot of them from English history in order to please the temper of the day and to get ahead. So Shakespeare's personal perspective is less an obvious one than that of most writers of the era who wrote for diverse audiences. Now, Bunyan paid a price for what he wrote, but those who were writing for the London theater were of a different caliber and less willing to pay the price and would have paid it more directly and severely. Uh, ben Johnson became virtually uh, a member of the court with James uh, coming to the throne. And he wrote everything that he could to flatter the monarchy, as did, of course, Shakespeare. But the writers for the theater were all of them concerned with uh, 
making sure they did not offend anybody. The Puritan literature became unpopular as time went on, and it succeeded more, more and more. The earlier Puritan literature did not gain the same hostility as Bunyan's because it was not as widely read. Do you regard the uh, the book uh, Inherit the Wind about the the Scopes uh, trial in Tennessee? Uh, was it uh, distinctly an anti-Christian book? I don't know the, that book. Uh, the trial was a grossly unfair one and has been misrepresented in that uh, 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 William Jennings Bryan is portrayed as a fool and Clarence Darrow as a hero. Uh, the media was entirely against Darrow. They did everything to ridicule him and hasten the old man's death. So that uh, the Scopes trial has never had proper misrepresentation. The actual transcript of the, the trial gives us a very different picture. We often have a warped picture of uh, history and of the books that have been prominent books and very often uh, some works for a time have been uh, very very popular and later disappeared from uh, public view. The most popular writer of the Victorian era is not even known today not one person in 10,000 would know his name. Please turn your tape over at this time. I'd like to turn now to a book I think uh, almost everyone who is over 40 or 50 has read or younger if they've gone to a Christian school. Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe. That's a wonderful story rich in adventure and uh, romance, history, uh, very, very exciting to read. I read it again and again as a boy. It was excellent reading. And it was good reading. Now, many have uh, said that this was a work which was a product of the Romantic movement. To a minor extent, that's true, but basically what Sir Walter Scott did was to take a work from, or an episode or an era in English history, create a fictional uh, series of characters and events all of which would be representative of their time and yet would represent also Christendom. Uh, Scott was a moral and a devout man. His writings were always written to uh, teach the reader. First to teach him respect for the past the idea that wisdom was born with us and that until we were born the world was stupid and crude, crass, and incapable of understanding anything. No. What he pointed out clearly was times may have been grimmer, harder, but there were godly men, noble men, uh, in bygone years, and we cannot afford to overlook that fact. God was able to work in the lives of these people and make them outstanding so that there could be heroism and nobility 
and uh, good people in the Middle Ages, for example. Scott's works helped revive a respect for the medieval era because there was much in that era to be respected. It's hard for us to realize that modern man until such people as Scott gave them a different perspective could live surrounded by the magnificent cathedrals of the medieval era and see no beauty in them. That is hard for us to imagine, but it was true. Well, Sir Walter Scott in Ivanhoe gives us characters that respect, uh, represent a high caliber, godly standards, and a way of life that represents a faith, a faith valid and effectual in any age, any era. era. Consider the fact, for example, that uh, he has, as one of the most admirable and sympathetic characters, a Jewish girl, Rebecca. That was somewhat new in literature. Consider the fact, again, that he discusses people on both sides, even the bad guys, as it were, with a respect. They're not all bad. He sees them dedicated to a cause. So he gives us a fairly realistic view of people in all camps. The book left a mark on its age and on successive eras up until the early post-World War II era. It was quite extensively used in public schools. What has happened since it has been dropped largely in public schools, but Christian schools have adopted it. And uh, it is continuing to have a wholesome influence. This is an important fact because literature is all important. From the 80s to about 1930 was the great age of uh, massive writing of uh, good literature for young people. Well, it was the earlier writers like Scott that laid the foundation for this. In this country, men like uh, uh, James Fenimore Cooper and one or two others. So the foundations were laid earlier in the previous century and flowered after 1880 to create a remarkable world of uh, literature for young people. I'm very happy that there is a revival now of uh, such writings. I think uh, I've had a small part to play in it. The Henty Society and the Henty Books, in this country at least, a good deal of it, uh, has been traceable to me and one of the Washington newspapers in an article in recent weeks acknowledged that fact. That's wonderful. I'm glad to see that uh, Douglas and Beverly Schmidt of uh, Preston Speed Publications, good friends and good supporters of Chalcedon, have been republishing the Henty books. And uh, one uh, weekly magazine has a full-page ad every week of these Henty books, and they are selling in great numbers, which is good. 
It is interesting that at the same time, other uh, able writers of the era are undergoing a revival. Jane Porter, for example, Scottish Chiefs, and Thaddeus of Warsaw. Uh, my grandson Daniel regards Thaddeus of Warsaw as his favorite book. Well, one consequence has been that many are eagerly collecting these books that were very popular and were beginning to disappear and in some used bookstores were periodically cleaned out and taken to the dump because they had no buyers. Right now, one of our group, Mike Pagani, has perhaps a few thousand such works, a marvelous library that uh, his children are reading heavily in. So uh, it is good to see this revival and uh, the classics of boyhood reading. The revival is extended to uh, some of the minor writings for boys and girls, like the uh, Rover Boys and Tom Swift books, which were very, very popular when I was a boy. How about the Horatio Alger books? What? Horatio Alger books. Uh, I never cared much for them, but uh, some of them have been revived. In uh, college courses in literature during the 1950s, uh, professors held up the book Uncle Tom's Cabin as being the first American novel. Would you comment on its impact? Which book? Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, there were a number written before, but uh, Perhaps it was the most successful. Another, perhaps uh, equally successful, was Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. Enormously successful. What do you think of Twain? I enjoy Twain. He was not a Christian. In fact, he but for the restraint of his wife, would have been more openly anti-Christian. He poked fun at the faith constantly. However, he was closer to it than he realized because he was surrounded by it as a boy. When married, his wife, a devout Christian, went to church every Sunday, so Mark Twain did also. He took a trip abroad with his pastor. He went on a cruise with a company of passengers, all of whom were Christians. It was to see Christian places and things, uh, Bible history and so on. And he wrote a book uh, ridiculing them, but all the same, he was constantly under its influence, so more than he would acknowledge and realize, he was uh, subjected to very thoroughly Christian influences. Mark, uh, which of the older classics have you used in uh, Christian schooling? I think it'd be interesting to know which ones. I think Ivanhoe you've used. No, I, I didn't use Ivanhoe. Um, well, someone did in the school. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I've used uh, some of Robert Louis Stevenson's stuff. Uh, Treasure Island, of course, is a yes. classic, probably the classic boys' adventure story. Um, um, I've used some of Kipling's, like The Jungle Book, and... Um, Oh, uh, what's the story about the uh, Captain's Courageous? Uh, that was was that Kipling. Stephen Kipling also, uh, which is interesting because it's it's so very different. That, that amazed me about um, Kipling, the difference between the Jungle Books 
and something like Captain's Courageous would just, it's like it's two different authors. I didn't see any similarities in the style at all. Um, and uh, Kipling took a great deal of effort with the Jungle Book, which is spoiled for, for many people because many people assume it's going to be like the Disney movie. Disney probably spoiled more people on cla the classics. Um, than any other single influence because they'd take a very good children's story and make it into a silly cartoon and uh, usually destroying the story in the process. Um, also something that's hurt a lot of the classics is um, mo the more recent movies, for instance of the Jungle Book, which they feel necessary to make them politically correct. In fact, if you read the story of the Jungle Book, the basic thesis is there that this, of course, this boy is raised by um, wolves, but he realizes very early on, in fact, the other animals realize, and they try to tell him before he's old enough to understand that one day he'll rise above all the animals in the jungle. It's inevitable. He's a man, and he will rise above the animals, and he will be their master. And he doesn't realize that for a long time, but eventually that's what happens. In the more recent movie made about five years ago, which was beautifully filmed, but it was very politically correct, the, the tiger, who was the, who was the bad guy in the, uh, in the Kipling novel, the tiger was the wise one. And the jungle boy wanted to be like the tiger, and he wanted to learn from the tiger. And uh, whereas Kipling said it was inevitable that man would rise above and man would have dominion, basically, without using the term, over the jungle and the animals, uh, in the other, it's very more of an environmentally correct. Don't don't touch the animals. Leave the leave the jungle animals as they are and, and leave them alone. So it's, it's too bad that movies have really spoiled. A lot of the classics of literature, yes. and a lot of a lot of novels aren't politically correct. Huckleberry Finn, for instance, is you know has, is famous because they it's been eliminated from a lot of public schools for using the N word. But um, but actually, Twain was very uh, rather affectionate towards blacks more than probably most authors of his day, and the whole issue of Huckleberry Finn is, is about Jim and helping Jim to freedom. And Huckleberry Finn felt bad for doing it. He felt he was a terrible person for breaking the law and helping Jim get free. And of course, he had to make a simple fix to all that, because at the end, technically, Jim had been free the whole time, and so Huck hadn't really done anything wrong. But um, Trying to think of some of the other names uh, of, of the novels we've used. Um, well, the movie studios have a, uh, a fixed um, group of screenwriters that they know what they're going to say. You just don't write a screenplay anymore and send it in. There are no more, uh, no, none of that. It, it's engineered. All of these movies are engineered from right from the beginning. The screenplays are approved by the studio, otherwise they don't, the movie doesn't get made. That's why it's very hard to find any historical movie mm -hmm. that's accurate. There's a third book, of course, that deals with uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer Abroad. I've never read that. Oh, I enjoyed that. It deals with adventures in North Africa, but a fifth he wrote, uh, or started to write, and it was Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn as older teenagers who were heading west to settle in the west. And what happens on the way is that a particular tribe of Indians attacks the wagon train, and the uh, beautiful young girl that Tom Sawyer is in love with is captured. And uh, at that point, the book ends, because Mark Twain realized he was trying to write 
uh, about the boys when they were older and to be more realistic. And this was the kind of thing that happened. This was a particular tribe that was vicious in its treatment of prisoners. Some were kindly, some were vicious. And the likelihood is that the girl would be raped until dead. And suddenly, Mark Twain found him face to face in the course of a book he was writing that began uh, innocently enough to be another adventurous story face to face with original sin and depravity. And he couldn't go any further. Well, there's a huge difference between Tom Sawyer, even, and Huckleberry Finn. Tom Sawyer is basically just a fun book yes. of two young boys and their adventures one summer. Huckleberry Finn deals with the issue of slavery and, and Jim being separated by, from his, his family, and uh, then they meet up with the, the, uh, the con men who take advantage of Jim and Huck for, for a lengthy period of time. He, he falls in, I forget the name of the family um, that he falls in with for a time, and their, their son ends up getting killed in a, in a feud. There's a lot more negativity even in Huckleberry Finn mm -hmm. uh, than in the one. Um, a book you've mentioned that you liked of Twain's that I didn't like was um, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. It was a cute story, but what I didn't like is I didn't like tw Twain, the, the main character's attitude was so cocky and arrogant that I, I felt that kind of detracted from, I just, that was so overwhelming, his cockiness and his arrogance. Of course, he later came, the character later came to enjoy his time there, and, and at the end of the book, when he was home again, he was very, uh, I guess, that uh, reminiscing quite a bit about uh, missing it. That book is interesting also in that uh Mark Twain had a rather confused view of the past, uh, both pro and con. He flip-flopped back and forth. In uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, he ridicules the ignorance, the stupidity, the backwardness of the people uh, in that era. So the Yankee is... Uh, uh, always uh, calling attention to things that uh, are backward. On the other hand, he was more than a romantic in his view of some aspects of the medieval era. He wrote a biography of uh, Joan of Arc, which is the most romantic and sentimental account imaginable. He thoroughly fell in love with Joan of Arc, and she comes out uh, glowing. She is so superior. So Twain was uh, strange in that respect. What, what do it, you think of Joan of Arc? Of Joan of Arc? Yeah, Joan of Arc. Well, that's a hard decision to make. I've read and reread a number of works about her. She may have been part pagan in her origin. Her thinking may have blended both Christian thinking and a great deal of the rural surviving pagan thinking. Now, when she was tried, it was under suspicion of this paganism. However, there was enough in her of Christianity that she was also genuine uh, at that point. In other words, in the rural and backward era, eras, their paganism and their Christianity had tended to blend so that they believed both at the same time. Uh, I think that's very likely in Joan of Arc. She uses expressions that are more common 
to older uh, semi-pagan thinking. At the same time, there is no denying there was a genuine uh, awareness of the Christian faith. So it's a complex uh, situation. One uh, scholar who's very well versed in the survivals of paganism in the late Middle Ages wrote uh, a series of studies, three volumes in all. The God of the Witches is one title and I forget the other two titles. And she held this thesis about uh, Joan of Arc as well as some other figures of the era. Now her works were very savagely critiqued by scholars when they first came out early in this century. However, I noticed in the past few years at least one has been uh, reprinted and uh, treated with respect. So there's no final word on the subject. How do you regard Solzhenitsyn, the Russian author Solzhenitsyn? I uh, have read his autobiography. It's a great work. He's a very remarkable man. I am not familiar with the novels, uh, but some of the shorter essays I've read also, tremendously moved by them. I wish I knew more of what has happened to him since his return. All I've heard is he's been treated with contempt by the people in Russia as an old-fashioned, out-of-date figure. That's very sad. He's there working out of a passionate desire to restore Christianity to Russia. I wish we knew more of what was happening to him now. Well, our time is about up. I don't know about all of you, but I've certainly enjoyed discussing these works. Uh, there are many, many like them that uh, we should discuss, but uh, it's been fun dealing with those we have dealt with. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you, and keep your questions coming. <laughs>